0: That's just kind of what people are talking about right now. What is going to break in markets or the Fed is going to break something? And a lot of people think it could be the real estate market. So I want to know your thoughts. Do you think that the the real estate market is going to be the thing that breaks? Welcome back to Fireside, a podcast from FS Investments. My name is Kara O'Halloran. I'm a director on the investment research team here. And on today's episode, we are continuing with our Q4 Outlook content, this time focusing on the commercial real estate market. So we will cover what higher financing costs mean for the market, what a defensive allocation looks like in CRE right now, and whether or not we think commercial real estate is going to be the thing that metaphorically breaks in markets. So to walk through all of this, I'm excited to be joined by Andrew Kors. Andrew, thanks for joining.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, Kara.
0: Sure. So I want to start at the very highest level. So obviously this year has been dominated by rising interest rates, right? And we've talked a lot about how this really just makes everything more challenging. You have to be a lot more discerning um, when you see rates rising, when you see higher rates. Um, So you called your outlook a recalibration in progress. What does that mean?
1: Yeah, so I I chose the word recalibration uh, purposely because I think it implies sort of a necessary adjustment to an external shift or, you know, a shock in the external environment. Uh, The analogy that I've sort of used is, let's say you buy a surround sound audio system, right? And when you install it, you have to think about the acoustics of the room, um, you know, the dimensions of the walls, uh, you know, the furniture, Um, And then if you move to a new home with a bigger room, you have to uh, recalibrate and adjust to all those different dimensions, right? And I think that's sort of what we're seeing in today's commercial real estate market. Um, The interest rate move that you've mentioned, driven by a Fed that's sort of been on its heels, fighting inflation, um, is obviously having knock-on effects uh, by slowing the economy. And we're really seeing this play out right now in real time. Um, the impacts are starting to become clear in price growth, where if you look at sort of the month-over-month month annualized rate of price growth, we were at almost 30% annualized rates at the end of 2021. Um, right now, we're running at about 4%, and it's it's decelerating quickly. Um, you, you're seeing it in in transaction volumes. Um, so August is the, is the last data that we have. It was still solid, but it's a clear deceleration from the beginning of the year, and it's actually the lowest level of sales for an August since 2016 if, if you take out the 2020 COVID-impacted year. And we're, we are starting to see a bit in cap rates. Um, you know, It generally takes some time for, for higher interest rates to flow through to cap rates. But CBRE does a, a semi-annual cap rate survey. Um, and we saw the, the, the first uptick in cap rates um, in six or seven years during the first half of this year. So we're really seeing um, these these impacts from higher interest rates starting to flow through into the market, into the data. And really, you know, look like mortgage rates could, could be up more than 300 basis points. um, You know, when this is all sort of said and done and it's going to take some time for the market participants to adjust to that, right? It's going to take time for buyers and sellers to find this new equilibrium. They're sort of going to be sort of surrounding each other uh, trying to fill each other out um, and eventually we'll, we will end somewhere at a new equilibrium. Um, but you know, look, like during that time, cap rates are going to have to adjust and and property values are probably going to have to adjust as well.
0: Okay. So it sounds like fundamentals are still relatively strong, um, obviously slowing a little bit, but, but still, you know, seeing that property price growth and, and strong fundamentals. But I want to talk now about, cause I think this is going to come into play. Um about this idea of getting defensive. It's something that we're all kind of thinking about right now, obviously, given this ongoing volatility, this carnage that we've seen in markets. And as we start to transition to a later cycle environment, that's just naturally how we want to start to position our portfolios. So in equities, that means going into you know utilities or, or staples or something like that. What does a defensive allocation look like in commercial real estate?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think it's a really good question because, you know, given where the economy is, given where rates are, I think investors, you know, no matter the asset class, are are trying to find, you know, uh, defensive cash flow producing areas um, and investments to get into right now. And so I, I, I kind of want to like, like strip out, you know, st- strip it down to its most basic level. What makes an investment defensive, right? So the way I look at it is it, it's it's sort of one of two things. Um, either one, sort of the fundamental drivers um, are not necessarily the economic cycle, but something else. You know, we think of, of something with with a secular growth story, right? That tends to offer defensive properties, especially during the downturn of an economic cycle. Or number two, the magnitude of the sensitivity or exposure to the cycle is lower, which is what we think about with, you know, your example of consumer staples, right? So, I think within commercial real estate, there's sort of three levers you can pull um, to get more defensive. Um, for I, I, You know, you can alter your, your sector allocation. Um, that's number one. Number two, you can think about where you are regionally. And number three, you can, I, I would argue, most importantly, you can think about where you are in the capital structure, right? Um, so let's just take one, you know, e- each of those in turn really quickly. First, um, from a sector standpoint, um, You know, there are these sort of secular stories within the real estate market. So in multifamily, you know, we've talked about this a lot. We have a structural housing shortage right now and clearly a housing affordability crisis right now. Multifamily sort of um, offers exposure to uh, that trend, which is going to take a long time to play itself out. Um, Industrial, everyone knows the story here uh, with e-commerce. There's also, we believe, a secular trend coming in terms of deglobalization um, redundancy in supply chains, um, you know higher inventory levels, all those things are really a secular headwind, regardless of the cycle um, for industrial and then things like medical office, uh, we have an aging population, clearly, the demand for for medical office um, is 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 durable and then you think about lower beta right or lower sensitivity to the economic cycle. and there we think about things like say grocery anchored retail, right? So consumer spending falls during recessions. Consumer spending on grocery does not fall nearly as much because we all fact, need food. It's
0: rising right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. Um, so that's clearly a more defensive allocation. We can think about multi in this regard too, right? N- necessities, shelter, food—those things that you need tend to be more uh, defensive uh, during this part of the cycle. Things like cold storage, uh, as, as we build out, you know, um, uh, cold supply chains for for uh, grocery, e-commerce, and 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 pharmaceuticals, things like that. So. You know, I, I think from a sector standpoint, that's really what we're looking at right now. Um, number two was, uh, you know, where are you regionally? And we're seeing a ton of dispersion right now. I think the story was a lot simpler, maybe a year, a year and a half ago, where you had, you know, the non-major metros, uh, which were just going gangbusters, and you had the major metros, which were really, really lagging behind. I think it's gotten a bit more complicated now. Um, you know, as the economy slows, you really need to be, uh, smart and and understand the market and where the supply is coming online, where there 's too much supply and where rent growth you think is going to stay strong. Um, and then finally, as I said, most importantly is, is, is the place in the capital structure. We believe as as price growth slows and potentially goes negative for a time, um, this is going to be an income driven market and you want to be uh, you want to be someplace like debt that is going to be first in line to capture that income. Um, so those are the three ways we kind of think about about getting defensive, um, and and uh, certainly you know given the economic uncertainty, we think that's probably smart right now.
0: Yeah. So I, as I said, I want to kind of zoom in on multifamily um, because this is really it, it sits in the at the eye of the storm when we think about the Fed and you know tightening policy and attempts to cool inflation. Um, shelter is really one area that they they really can slow down, right? Uh, so we're recording this in on October 11th. So the most recent CPI data we have is as of August that came out in September. Um, and that data didn't really show shelter CPI decelerating um, or it showed it accelerating. <laughs> so, you know, not great news there. But I know that we have some more kind of real-time data showing that rent has rent growth has moderated somewhat. So maybe you can help us kind of parse through the data. What are you watching um, when it comes to multifamily, you know, put on your Fed hat. What What do you think the Feds really closely paying yeah. attention to?
1: Yeah, it, it's it's interesting. Sort of the inters- the intersection between the real estate market and the inflation story right now. It's really crucial because. I mean, if you think about it, inflation is in the driver's seat of everything macro right now, right? Like, you know, that meme where it's like a tiny domino falling and <laughs> right, you get and to the, a giant domino. The huge domino. <laughs> dominoes. Yeah. yeah, well, it like, is. I mean,
0: it's interest, it's, inflation is interest rates. It's the dollar. It's yep. all of this stuff. All it, the stuff that we're seeing is, drive markets. Um, anyway, keep Yeah, going. <laughs> yeah. I mean,
1: everything is sort of an offshoot of that. And if you think about, you know, if you break it down even further, really, shelter is in the driver's seat of inflation right now. Um, you you know, if you think about rent and owner's equivalent rent, which is how we measure sort of the cost of owning shelter, um, they comprise close to 40% of the core CPI. They are adding more than 3% annualized to core CPI right now. Wow. So if you just zeroed everything out in CPI, right, said everything else is zero, um, core CPI would still be around 3%. Still
0: higher than the Fed's target. It's higher than the Fed's target. Also unlikely that that's... Right. In an environment we're gonna get. Right. Plateaued. No, it, it, <laughs> there's
1: clearly inflation all, yeah. coming from a lot of other places. <laughs> a lot of
0: assumptions you have to make. Absolutely. There. So yeah, wild.
1: So when we think about um rents, the CPI's measure of rents tends to lag um in some ways uh what we're seeing in terms of new leases signed, right? So this, so the CPI what they try to do basically is they try to measure the cost of living for everybody, mm-hmm. right? And Leases tend to only turn over once a year they you know so in that regard um, rent rent levels tend to change rather slowly. Some of the metrics that we follow in the private markets from things like Zillow, things like apartment list show that rent growth is already starting to slow, and some of our data sources actually that we use on the real estate side um, are also showing slowing rent growth now to be clear, there's a diff- big difference between deceleration and declining rents. We're not seeing declining rents. We're seeing rent growth that's still above average from pre-COVID. But it's going to be interesting to see how quickly that, you know, the deceleration in newly signed leases that we're seeing clearly come through, how long that takes to come through to CPI and how the Fed reacts. um, You know, if, as we expect, shelter inflation stays high and keeps, core CPI higher than they want. But some of these private metrics are showing clearly slowing rent growth. Um, I will say, I think given that discussion, if we kind of turn that to more multifamily focused, uh, discussion, um, I think given the nature of the current macro shock, which is interest rates as, mm-hmm. as as we've discussed, um, I think that really presents a unique picture for multi going forward. Um, so, you know, even though we talked about it as, as more of a defensive sector, um, it, you know, it, it is impacted by slowdowns, right? Um, for example, people who may have moved out on their own, if the economy or the labor market's less certain, maybe they get roommates, maybe they stay in their parents' house a little longer. Um, I think given the, where the housing market is and how bad affordability is in the housing market right now, your only option really is to rent, right? That, that rent to own, um, decision has gotten much more challenging for the buy and own side. And specifically for the types of people who who are making that decision, which is in the first-time homebuyer market.
0: Yeah, yeah. Right? I was going to say it's impossible to have this conversation without bringing up the the housing market. Yeah. And yeah, it's affordability for existing homeowners is actually fantastic. Yeah. Right, oh, <laughs> like it's, it's great. <laughs> homes are As so affordable. Uh, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I, I'm not moving anytime soon. I locked in that rate. Yeah. Um Yeah. It's new first-time homeowners that are. I mean, mortgage rates are over seven percent. It's, it's absurd. Inc-
1: and the 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 mortgage payment, the average mortgage payment on the on it on it on the average purchased home has almost doubled since the beginning of 2021. Yeah. Now rents have gone up a lot. They haven't gone up that much. Right. Right. So and, and and if you think about who is making this rent versus own decision, right? It's it's millennials, it's people um maybe looking to, like, should I rent another couple of years? Should I buy? Um like they're totally priced out of the housing market. So their only option really is to rent right now. So Given, I think, the nature of this macro shock, I think multi could prove to be even more defensive because of that um, than maybe in your average economic slowdown. Yeah.
0: It's, I just find it so interesting thinking about, you know, the Fed is trying to tame inflation by raising rates, obviously. And we always say they, they don't have a scalpel of a hammer. Right. And so they're raising rates, basically pricing people out of the housing market, and then yet. That's driving rents, which is keeping inflation right. high. You right. know, that's the, the biggest part of CPI is shelter. So it's just like, yeah, it just shows how difficult, you know, how difficult It, it, is. it, it
1: really is a hammer because yeah. like what the Fed's hoping to do is ultimately bring down home prices, you know, but like the structure of the mortgage market is that everybody has a 30-year fixed mortgage rate now, right? right? So right. if if you have a mortgage rate of 3%, I'm not moving. <laughs> Certainly
0: not. <laughs> and you don't get
1: supply on the market. You're not going to get the home prices down. Yeah. And that's going to feed through to rental demand, Yeah, right? It is a conundrum. It's an interesting conundrum, it is. It yeah. is.
0: Um, and we're going to talk more about that in a minute, but I did want to bring up just one other sector quickly because um, it's one that we haven't talked about a lot recently, but it was so in the news for so long, beginning of the pandemic, and that's office. Um, this kind of return to office ideas really had kind of fits and starts and- companies, it seemed like every time a company tried to bring back their workforce, you know, in mass, we had another, uh, another variant right. pop up or whatever. Um, and then a lot of companies, it seems like this year we're like, all right, we're doing it regardless. Um, so I think the long-term outlook for office is like really murky because I think it's just, you know, we have completely adjusted to this new normal hybrid environment, remote work, whatever. And Office leases are long term, so I don't know that a lot of companies have necessarily had to make the decision about long term at this point. But you know, let's talk more about the short term because I know that in your outlook, this is one place that you pointed out that fundamentals are you know maybe not as strong. So what are you really closely watching in the office market, kind of in the short term, or what are the dynamics there?
1: Yeah, it's to your point. These are really they generally are uh, ten year leases um for big tenants and big office buildings. So this th- this market tends to move really slowly. Um, what we're seeing right now is that vacancies continue to tick up. Um we've seen them come from just under 10% uh pre-COVID to just over 14% today. So they've been rising steadily. Um, you know we're seeing massive dispersion in ten- in in terms of uh demand and usage of office space depending on uh, what metro you're in? So the sunbelt areas that we talk about where um, you know the demographic trends are strong, you're seeing you know office swipes, which is how we sort of uh, track these these things, uh, are are somewhere between fifty and sixty percent of pre covid levels in places like austin, Dallas, um, Phoenix. So you know it's we're not back to normal, but we're at levels that are that are you know generally probably healthy enough. And there's places like San Francisco, um, you know some of the other like Seattle um where office uses just is not, you know, it's 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 maybe thirty-five to forty percent of what it was pre-COVID. So we're seeing huge dispersion and thus um, you know, the investment implications for that those differences in demand are huge, right? Um and and I think we're gonna to continue to watch that um sort of unfold over the next couple of years. And then, you know, on, on the supply side we're seeing office construction really Moderate. Um, it's fallen since pre-COVID. It's not. It's not recovered. We would continue. We would expect to continue to see that happen. Um, I think the what, what we're watching most closely is. I think we're gonna have a really nice case study for the office market, given what could happen with corporate earnings over the next year or two. Right. So S and P five hundred earnings. Um, you know, analysts as a whole expect them to to increase next year in twenty twenty three. A lot of people are questioning that. A lot of people think um, the margin pressures from increased labor costs, lower top line growth, um, you know, still some supply chain issues are going to drive margin compression. And if that happens, um, you know, it, it, it it hasn't really been a difficult decision for companies to keep the real estate footprint, right? Corporate profits have, have been incredible over the past few years. Um, Companies have, have not had to make those really challenging decisions yet if margins start to come under pressure, will companies feel obliged to a cut square footage or B force people back into the office to justify that square footage cost? Right. So I think this is going to be a really nice case study. And I think it'll have, um, you know, it'll kind of show us where things are going long-term with this work from home.
0: Yeah, totally. And I think if you think about the, you know, the COVID recession and, Really sharp job losses, obviously. But then it was really hard to get people back yeah. to work. You know, it was, it was hard to, it was such a tight labor market. We're still in a really strong labor market. It was hard to hire people. So I do wonder if, you know, if a company is thinking about, okay, what is, thinking about like the large expenses for a company, right? Obviously it's salary, it's wages um, is the the number one expense. Yep. Maybe unless you're like a manufacturer and you have cost of goods sold, whatever. Sure. But, you know, it's it's salary and, rent are, are two of the largest line items. And so yeah. if you're deciding between, Hey, like I, you know, I just cut my workforce during COVID and it was really, really hard to get good people back in these seats. It, you know, maybe that, that calculus changes a little bit and we're like, okay, well we've realized we can work from home. Maybe we don't need this office space or we need a, lar- a smaller footprint and, you know, yeah. reduce expenses that way. So I, I, I do think it's going to be a yeah. super interesting, you know, when, when that recession eventually comes. Um, right. I think it'll be super interesting.
1: Yeah, I, I think that you just framed it perfectly. Like if if I had the decision between cutting headcount by 10% or cutting my real estate footprint by, by 40%, yeah, like we, uh, to your point, there's a ton of friction in the labor market, you know, and companies were trying to find workers anywhere they can get them. Like they, you know, you're always sort of fighting the last battle and nobody wants to do that again.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So speaking of kind of, uh, fight not not wanting to fight the last <laughs> war. I do want to um I, I want to talk about like this impending the idea of an impending recession whenever that happens. Um, there's this notion right now with the Fed hiking hiking quickly hiking aggressively that something is going to break. Yeah, right. That's just kind of what people are talking about right now. What is going to break in markets or the Fed is going to break something? Um, and a lot of people think it could be the real estate market. So. I want to know your thoughts. Is this, do you think that the, the real estate market is going to be the thing that breaks?
1: Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's kind of, it's almost gotten exhausting hearing people say something's going to break, yeah. isn't it? It's, yeah. it's gotten to be a bit cliche. Yeah. Um, and I have, I, I have a, a, a corny analogy for this oh, gosh. Um. that I, I hope you'll bear with me on. So it's, I, I think the, the Aaron, mood, get
0: ready to cut just in case. <laughs> <it>. <laughs> Keep
1: going. The, uh, the mood in market right, markets right now, and this is uh, very seasonally appropriate, which I'm pretty proud of. Okay. Um, it's almost like sort of walking into a haunted house, right? <laughs> okay. And it's pitch dark in there, right? Um, you like you don't know where you are, but you know you're in a haunted house. Um, you know at some point something's gonna pop out, but you don't know from which corner, you don't know when it's gonna pop out, and you don't know whether it's gonna be like the zombie guy or like the like the like the undead like butcher lady, right? So that sort of seems to be the mood in markets right now, right? Like so, you, is
0: real estate the the undead zombie? I'll, okay, I'll,
1: I'll, I'll get to that. <laughs> I'll get right. to that. So you sort of have you you have this crazy rate fall, right? You have this incredibly strong dollar. You have these wild commodity moves, um, and people are just searching for wh- which corner is this is is this quote unquote breakage going to come out of, right? Um, this finance, financial or economic accident, um, and we just don't know. And to your point, last time it was the real estate market, and specifically you know, the housing market um, because of the structure of the mortgages that we've talked, you know, a lot about um, and, and sort of the, the quality of borrowers. Um, if we look at the commercial real estate market today, those, those structural issues don't exist, right? CMBS issuance is still not back, n- never got back to its pre-COVID levels. Um, leverage is, at, on average, the average loan is 55 to 60% um, of the property price. Um, that's, that's uh, you know, versus close to 70% pre-COVID, right? So much less uh, leverage in the system. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a m- much better lender diversity today, right? So if the banks pulled back like they did pre- pre-global financial crisis, there was nobody to step in, right? Now we have, um, you know, we have banks, we have the CMBS market, but we also have, um, you know, insurance companies. We have uh, private debt funds. We have REITs. We have all this the, these um, alternative lenders um, who don't have some of the the more regulatory tape that that you know banks have to deal with uh, when you know with with regards to taking on risk. So I think the structure of the market right now, the level of leverage, um, and honestly the fundamentals with where things are. Like, look, like we're still in a high nominal GDP growth environment, yeah. right? Um, low, low real GDP growth, but real estate is much more highly correlated to nominal GDP yep. growth. And we expect inflation to stay high. And we think that can keep you know, fundamentals and rent growth at a level that is healthy.
0: So you think that maybe we can get you know, you you always get through the haunted house. You always get like through. It's you might get a little scared along the way, yeah. well, but the,
1: the the good thing is when I go with my friends, I find the nearest bar. And I, wait I was going to say, I'm
0: out. the uh, I'm the one that like they usually have a beer garden or yes. something at the front. Yeah. I actually don't even go into the haunted house. Yeah. So yeah. if that tells you about like how I'm invested right now, <laughs> <laughs> anyway. defensive to quite <laughs> defensive, yeah. Yeah. risk averse <laughs> is how I like to put it. But anyway, um,
1: point being, uh, you know, like in 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 oh seven oh eight there was. A credit crunch that occurred that created this domino effect on the real estate market. Those um, those factors are not in place right now. We don't think, and for all the reasons I just mentioned, um, we think the market you know actually remains pretty solid and actually provide looks like a decent investment opportunity, especially you know looking more defensive places like yeah. debt and s- some of the sectors we talked about, um, especially relative to stocks and bonds. Right, right, right. Like you need to think about investing. Not just as an absolute on an absolute basis, but on a relative basis, totally, right? Totally. Um, so that's that's kind of how we're looking at the
0: market yeah. right now. Awesome. I think that's a perfect place to wrap up, Andrew. Thank you as always for joining. Um, and your outlook is available on fsinvestments.com as well as the rest of our uh, our Q four outlook content. Um, so thanks for joining.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me, Kara. It was fun.
0: If you liked this episode, subscribe to Fireside wherever you get your podcasts.